0: glad to see each of you today. Uh, we are starting, if you were with us last week on a holiday weekend, uh, we started a new sermon series for the new year, and it's a very practical one. Every sermon series is different, right? Uh, we uh, we'll actually will be getting sometime next month into a Bible study of a book, a certain book of the Bible for the story that it tells us, and that'll be fun. But this is a very practical series, and we are calling it um, Chain Reactions, Setting a better future in motion. What we said last week, and I won't review very long, but because it was a holiday weekend, I know that some of us may have missed uh, just that. Or, and I, by the way, always you could go to Facebook Live, uh, Facebook, and look at our last week's feed and watch it afterwards, or go to our website and listen to it there. But uh, in case you didn't do that, or and I want to catch you up for today, uh, we're talking about the fact that every year people have this conversation about New Year's resolutions. And sometimes they set them, and they don't usually last very long. They usually fall by the wayside within a few weeks at best. And then the other thing that happens is we tend to, um, uh, sometimes as church people, we tend to preach about the idea of resolutions, and sometimes that is like a one Sunday sermon during a holiday weekend, and we move on. And the sermon is just like, we'll do it, we move on to new topics. And just like all the rest of us, we forget about them in a few weeks. But we don't want to forget about having a better year, and we don't want to settle for resolutions because resolutions stink. I hate New Year's resolutions. They don't last. I mean, first of all, it's hard. At some point, you run into willpower, right? If you just try through willpower to do better, make resolutions, if it was that easy, you wouldn't have anything to make resolutions about, right? There's a struggle going on. That's the reason we come in and and try to— purpose to do better the next year, because it's hard. And so, and also, as we saw last week, we get discouraged because results aren't immediate. And so before too long, it's hard, willpower wanes, and then the results aren't what we hope they are. So we kind of just fizzle out. And so there's something better than resolutions. We want transformation, and we want to establish uh, lasting habits. Last week we saw Um, uh, the Apostle Paul, who often referred to very practical things, like Jesus did when teaching people spiritual truths through practical things in life. And one of the things he talked about was farming. In many places he taught the natural spiritual law of God that uh, there's a law of sowing and reaping that you see in farming. And uh, Paul said in Galatians chapter uh, 6 and verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, this is the big deal. Uh, we don't want to become weary in doing good. And this, that's what happens with a lot of parts of life, including those fresh start, new year goals that we set. We have good intentions, but it's hard. That's why there are struggle points. We decide to do better, but we get weary. The results aren't obvious because they're not obvious right away. It's just like when farmers plant. There's a long waiting period before the harvest comes. A lot, of, a lot is happening without any fruit to show for it. And so we get weary in doing good. But Paul said at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We don't want to give up short of reaping the harvest for doing good. That takes time. And so we talked about a little bit about the um, the fact that it kind of works, it's called compound growth. If you understand compound growth in any area, you understand what Paul is referring to here. It's like compound interest with your money. And the compound interest can work against you, or can work for you, depending on what side of the lending you're on. Um, but compound interest is one of those things that is usually a small percentage of gain, but once you compound on top of each other for a while, it hardly looks like you're getting anywhere at all. But eventually, that, that compound upon compound, you begin to see growth. And it's more like an, an arc. It curves up. And we gave you a graph last week to show you. I remind you of it today. Uh, it looks like this. This horizontal line at the bottom measures time. And the vertical line measures our results. What happens with compound growth with, or any kind of compound anything is you start improving but you see very little results, very little results for quite a while. Then you start seeing a little bit as they compound eventually, but the arc is slow and eventually it gets momentum and it ramps up to significant improvement. The problem with us is we get discouraged because we think that when we make a a good decision, we make a good investment of our energy, our money, our time, our habits, that the growth should be steady from the get-go. We should see constant, steady growth that gets bigger and bigger with time, like this straight diagonal line right here. But the problem is the way compound growth really works is it arcs up slowly, and we feel like in the gap for a long time, there's a gap between what we think should be happening and what's actually happening. And so we call that the valley of disappointment. That's where most people bail and quit on their attempts to do better. We quit in the valley of disappointment, but at some point, if you stick with it long enough, you cross that threshold, and and, and, and the compound growth begins to work for you, but it takes time to get out of that, that lower expectation level. And when it finally escalates, People will call you an overnight success in whatever you're trying to do, but it wasn't. It was a long, painful process where you didn't quit. You didn't get weary in doing good, like Paul said. And eventually you reap a harvest if you don't give up. But you got to get through that valley of disappointment because growth happens different than we expect it to happen, and we can get lost along the way. But those who stick and persevere see amazing things eventually. We all, I think I said last week we underestimate, we overestimate what we can do in one year, and we underestimate what we could do in five to ten years. That's just how humans are. And we forget the power of just consistency in time. So we won't review that anymore. Again, the sermon was online if you want to hear it as well. But I wanted to remind you of a few things. Now, when we do a sermon series, oftentimes, we um, obviously, we study the Bible. Uh, nothing's original. Like, no truth in the Bible has never been preached. In 2,000 years, if someone's come up with new truth today, I'd be careful about that. Um, The truth has always been there. Now, application could be interesting, or it could be fresh to us at a season of our life, but the truth has been around, and so probably what we preach has been preached elsewhere. In fact, oftentimes, when we preach something, we're preaching something that we've actually heard somewhere that inspired us. Maybe as a teenager, a sermon helped me, and I share it years later as a pastor. Or Maybe we hear a sermon series somewhere, and we decide to curate it to our church, and Bring it to you because we want you to get what helped us. And sometimes it's books we read. And so whenever we do something like that, we always want to give credit where credit's due. In studying the topic of habits for the last while, uh, we've read a lot of books on habits and some of the things that we were doing well, the books confirmed, they taught us some things we weren't doing well, and we got a ways to go. But we got some good information in our study for the last year or so, and we wanted to pass those resources along to you and also give credit where it's due. So um, I'm going to make some book recommendations Um, about habits that are going to— I'm going to make them every week a different book for the next couple weeks. And that way you can have some resources if you want to read. You can take them with you. One of those books we'll recommend is called The Compound Effect. And full disclosure, I've not read this entire book. When we were reading some other books on habit, we found that they referred a lot to this book— a couple of people referred to this book, so it kept popping up on our radar. So we bought it because of that. And when we uh, went through it, it went along with a lot of what we said last Sunday, actually. It's very good information. And so we kind of skimmed over it, and uh, uh, Anthony and I, in our preaching uh, uh, work, uh, looked through it and figured out, you know what, this is, a, this is a good resource. So I want to recommend it to you. We'll give you some more strong ones. In fact, my favorite one is coming recommendation in a couple weeks but we're just trying to give you some, they're all good they're all phenomenal books and so today the compound effect and I want to do something I want to, I want to be able to give a copy of the book away to someone who will read it that's the key not someone who will collect it someone who will read it so I want to, first of all if you are watching online and you will read this book and you want it, the first comment that I see on my phone up here I, it might be the first comment is the one I don't see so full disclosure technology messes things up. First comment I see claiming it, we'll send it to you. I'll get that to you if you want it, and you'll read that book. Let me know and I'll look for that in the comments momentarily. Who here would like a copy of this book that you'll put it to use if I first hand or person I see, I saw you first. So I'm going to bring this over to you real quick, Amy. And I hope that you enjoy it. You're very welcome. And if you didn't get a copy, you can go ahead and write this reference down if you want to read it. And we'd love to give it to you. Um, Let's see here, um, let's see here, um, oh, all sorts of comments about technicalities here, it looks like, I should not look at this right now, but it looks like um, uh, it says uh, Dan, Kim is saying Dan will read it, so I guess he's volunteering to read it or she's volunteering him, she, Dan, she wants you to have good habits, she's volunteering you, okay? I guess that works. That's the only thing I see on here yet, from, so that we'll go with that one. Okay. <laughs> uh, next, that's the Don't do that in here, by the way. Like, who needs this book about stopping sin, and you're pointing to your spouse real big in the room? Don't do that. So, that's funny. I like that. All right. We'll give you some more as the weeks go on. But today I want to just, we're really setting the stage. And I told you this, this is a practical series. They're all, come to, you've been here long enough to know, most of you, that we do a lot of different things. This is a very practical series. And we make no apologies for it. God, God's word is very practical in so many ways. And uh, that's what we're doing for these few weeks. And we're not rushing past this theme like New Year's resolutions that come and get forgotten. We're taking our time. Baby steps each day of the week this month to give us a little something extra. And today we're gonna finish setting the stage for some really cool stuff beginning next week and the week after. But today, I want us to consider something. We talked about good habits last week and how they compound growth happens slowly. Today we're going to focus more on bad habits, although it will apply to both. But when it comes to bad habits, here's what's interesting, that bad habits repeat themselves again and again, not because you don't want to change, but because you have the wrong system for change. What happens is this, when we have bad habits, it's the problem we have is we all want, no one says, man, I want to do that. In fact, we make resolutions and try harder because we do want to change. The reason our bad habits repeat themselves is not because we don't want to change. They repeat themselves again and again because we have the wrong system. And that's the key word, system, for change. You've got to have more than just a desire or a resolution or a goal. There has to be a system. Now, uh, there's an author... uh, uh, James Clear, he's an athlete and a, and a public speaker. Actually, uh, uh, actually, he was a world champion weightlifter, I believe, at one time, as well as other things. And he's 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 a great best-selling author. James Clear, he uh, once said, "Winners and losers in sports, if you're referring to things. Winners and losers have the same goals, but they have vastly different results. Isn't that true?" They have the same goals. Like, for example, this is NFL playoff weekend. I don't want to talk about it because it didn't go good for my team yesterday. But in NFL playoffs, there are six games this weekend, and one team is going to win and one team is going to lose. Here's what's going to happen. One team is going to win, one team is going to lose. When you ask the coaches, here's what you won't hear. The winners didn't win because they had a goal of winning And the other team was like, well, to be honest with you, we didn't really, our goal wasn't to win. We just wanted to come out and enjoy a nice day in the field and enjoy the weather and see some old friends and say hi, have some fun. No, everyone had the goal of winning, right? And that's obvious. But the, the, the thing is, there's different results. And so goals alone aren't enough. And so that's why we're talking about systems here a little bit because there's something more that we need if we're going to see things happen. Now, the Apostle Paul understood this idea. Just like last week we saw how he talked about farming in many places, today I want to see that he talks about athletics. Did you know that Paul talked about sports? So I'm just going to defend that for a minute here. Paul talked about sports a lot in the, in the Bible. And he talked about you know, boxing. He talked about race, races. He talked about several different kinds of sports. He made references to fighting good fights and, 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 and uh, winning races and all sorts of things. To illustrate, in, through athletics, to illustrate practical truths about being successful at life. And in one place, Paul referenced that, was in 1 Corinthians 9.24. And some of you today, we ought to write this reference down and take it home and copy it and print it off and keep it someplace close to us. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul said this, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs but only one person gets the prize. So, you know, in the, in a, someone's racing somewhere, or maybe it's the, um, what do they call that, Tour de France in the, on the bikes or whatever. Everyone's racing, everyone's running, but one person gets the prize. And then Paul says, so run to win. Now we understand something. He's making an illustration about athletics, but, he, but he, don't misinterpret what he teaches. In, in the same book, Paul says elsewhere, we are not competing with each other. We're not competing with each other in the Christian life. We have our own race— and our own purpose and our own high calling that we are trying to individually achieve. We are trying to be what God made us to be and, 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 and make the most of our life and, and to leave our mark in the way that God wants us to be. It's our own race. We're not comparing ourselves to ourselves. We're not measuring ourselves by ourselves. We are simply running our race. But, but, but like sports where everyone's running for a prize, Paul says to us in your race, in my race, run to win. In verse 25, he explains. He says, all athletes, all athletes are disciplined in their training, right? They don't just show up one day and say, hey, let's compete today. They've been training and training and baby steps over and over and over and over. And they're not just trained, they're disciplined at it. They're studying. They understand the nuances of why you do what you do, the system to be the best results. They're disciplined in their training. And they do it. Here's what Paul says. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Here's what we know, whether you're watching online or in person, here's what we know. We know that prizes in this world, they get old. You you win a trophy, it fades away. It might get lost, it might get put in a box somewhere, it might get broken. They fade away. But even if the prize itself doesn't fade, so to speak, you know what fades away? The memory and glory of our wins. Like you ask any NFL team who wins a Super Bowl, you ask them, you say, hey, Next season, are you going to try this year? Oh, no, we're losing this year. But who cares? We won last year. Like, that doesn't matter. Last year is old. We're worried about now. See, the glory of winning fades away. The glory of the prize, the memory fades away. And and so Paul is saying people will discipline their bodies and train to win a prize that the prize itself and the memory and glory of it will always fade away. And it's amazing. But here's what he said, but we do it for an eternal prize. In other words— if people will work themselves so hard to win something that is temporal, that we all get over and move past. And by the way, that's awesome. That's cool. I admire, every time I read a story about an athlete who, um, who overcomes adversity, who trains themselves to get back. I saw the story this last week of uh, Alex Smith, the quarterback, who had the bacteria-eating disease and his injury and his broken bone, and he was supposed to never live. If he lived, he'd never walk again, he'd never play football again, he played football, he's playing football again this year because he's overcome so much adversity. The discipline, the training, the things he went through to overcome his obstacles is amazing. I love it. We love the stories of people that strive to win prizes that fade away because it's impressive. But Paul is saying, how much more should you and I understand that we are living for something that's eternal, with eternal purpose, and we should take our life and just Mm, just aim for, for the glory of God to be disciplined, to, to stop the things. Athletes stop doing things that hurt them, and they add disciplines that help them because they're trying to win a temporal prize. We should be stopping some things that are hurting our life and do some things that build our life because we have something better to live for than just a temporal prize. He says, so I, so I Paul says, verse 26, so I run with a purpose. In every step. I run with purpose in every step. Every step in a race is not just one big bound. It's a bunch of small steps, small steps, small steps. But every step is purposeful. Every step is is, is 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 thought through. It's a reason how I pace myself, what I do. There's a system here. I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing, Paul said. I discipline my body like an athlete, he goes on to say, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He says, I'm afraid that if I'm not careful, if I don't train my, if I don't take my job, and Paul was not an athlete. He was a missionary. He was a preacher of the gospel. But he says, I treat my life as if what I'm doing is as important as somebody winning a race. And I discipline my body to train it to do what it should or not do what it shouldn't do because I fear that if I preach to others, If I'm not careful, I myself might be disqualified. I don't want to have good goals and good messages but not follow through myself. That's a real good reminder to all of us from the Apostle Paul. Now, I said earlier that goals are great, but systems are better than goals. So last week, if you were here, I said to write down one goal, maybe two at the most. I know you have 20 things you want to fix, right? One or two things that you'd like to work on. Maybe that's some, something you want to stop doing or something you want to start doing. And write those down. If you missed last week and you're joining us today in person or online, you can still do that. Think of it today. What's that one or two things you want to fix or work on this year? Here's the thing initially, you've got to set a goal. But once you've established your goal, it's most useful to focus on your system, not on the goal. Because you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. This is always how it works in life. You never rise. Everyone's got high goals. You do not rise to the level of your goals. None of us do. We fall to the level of our systems. And if you want to do better, there's a reason we fail every year. Whether we be better, raise the system, fix the system, focus on the system. That's the way to get it done. The purpose of setting goals is to win the game. Purpose of building systems is to continue playing the game. And so true long-term thinking is always goal-less thinking. It's about, not about any single accomplishment. It's about the cycle of endless refinement and continuous improvement. Or, said another way, goals are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the processes that lead to those results. There's a difference there. Set some goals, but then move to your systems. Because goals are what you want to achieve. Systems will get you there. It's the processes that get you there. And so we're going to take a couple. Here's what we're going to do. We're just taking our time this month to not brush past this theme and move on to the new year. What do you want to get better at? What do you want to overcome? What do you want to see victory in? What do you want to finally stop doing or finally start doing? We're going to take some time. And, and here's what's going to happen. Today, we're, last week, we just encouraged you. Hey, compound growth, it goes slow. Don't get discouraged. Keep on going. Keep on going. This week we're gonna talk about bad habits and not identifying them. In the next couple weeks, before before two more weeks are over, we're gonna help you with some super practical systems, I think, that if you put them in place, will help you experience true behavior change and true victory. That's coming at a future week. We're just not rushing it all today. We're setting the stage today. But before we go there, for today, I want to do one simple thing. If we're gonna get a better system, To understand how systems work, we first have to understand how habits work. Because habits are the problem that we're trying to overcome. So how do habits work? Now, this is my angle for today, and we'll get real systematic after today in a couple weeks here. But there are four parts of a habit I want you to see today. Four parts of a habit. If you understand these, you can understand what habits do and where they come from. Here they are. There's four parts. There's the Q... The craving, the response, and the reward. Every habit has those four things. A cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. So, i mean, just got to give you an illustration. So let's say, for example, that you, well, let's say it's me. I, I don't, but let's say I, it's my, let's say I drive past Chick-fil-A every day on the way home from work. I, I don't drive past Chick-fil-A. I wish I did. They should put one in Cedar Lake. That would be wonderful. But uh, let's say you drive past Chick-fil-A on the way home from work every day. And if I'm driving past Chick-fil-A and I have a bad habit— I see the sign, it's a cue, and as soon as I see the sign, I look at the building and I see the cars and I'm like, oh, chicken sandwich. Cri- waffle fries with Chick-fil-A sauce. I mean, this is God's chicken, folks. This is great stuff. I mean, you know, So, and by the way, a Coke Zero to make it all healthy and, and uh, fine at the end, you know what I'm saying? So I, I see, and I'm like, the line's not that, oh, the line is pretty bad, but they do really good at getting their line through fast. So you know what? I I, I see the, the sign, that's my cue, and I begin to crave the Chick-fil-A. And my response is, I pull off into the parking lot of Chick-fil-A, and I spend about $9 and some odd cents on a large-sized Uh, Chick-fil-A meal with extra Chick-fil-A sauce and a large Coke Zero light ice. And my reward is I sit there on the way home and I eat that heavenly, it's like, it's so delicious. like eating a baby angel. It's so wonderful. And so I'm just enjoying it. And then I realized that I'm gaining some weight and I'm losing some money. If I keep losing some gaining weight, I'm gonna lose more money in new clothes to fit me once I keep gaining weight. And so I'm not happy with what's happening. So I'm gonna do better. But every day, the same cue, there's a Chick-fil-A side on my way home, there's the, the craving that kicks in, there's the response, I pull in, the reward, I eat the food. And that's a habit. Now, that's an easy one. I use it because it's easy to understand. Some habits are a little more complicated, but for example, fixing that one is simple i got to deal with the queue. Maybe take a different way home from work. Take a slower way home. Take five more minutes to listen to a podcast on a slower route and not drive past the place anymore, right? There's, There's some fixes there that I can do, but some habits are harder to fix. In fact, one problem that we have in breaking bad habits is that all habits are not the same, right? We know this. Some habits are from this kind to that kind. They're vastly different in their struggle, their stronghold on us and how we tackle them. And because of that, The one thing that we can do today is offer a framework for understanding how habits work and a guide to experimenting with how they might change if you want to see them change. And so, again, for some habits, that'll take a lot more prolonged study and harder work. But it's worth it. We'll never get victory if we don't try a better process. So, these four things, before I change graphics here, I want to take a moment. I'm going, to, I'm going to shrink this down from four things to three things because we're going to come back to this in a couple weeks here. This is a big idea. This, is, this will help you. But the, uh, another study we saw one time was done by the MIT researchers. MIT researchers were studying human brain activity in patients with Alzheimer's and dementia. And how some people would forget very basic things immediately and things around them and didn't remember anything, but they could perform certain tasks flawlessly all of the time anyhow. It's like, why can these people do things, but they forget other things so easily? So they begin to study brain habits and, and how habits affect our body and our brain at a core level. They begin to use, you know, Rats and other laboratory, things like that, to train on animals. They tried to test on humans for for figuring things out. And they figured out that habits come down. In their research, they used three things. It all centers around the craving. They had a cue, a routine, or a response, and a reward. And so they created, MIT created what they called the habit loop. I'll show that to you here. The habit loop, a cue leading to a routine that gives a reward that we want. Not a good reward, usually, just a reward. It could could be a good habit with a good reward, but a cue, routine, reward, this is the habit loop. They figure it out. Now, diagnosing our our habit loop is a big step in starting the process towards change. What's the cue? What's the routine? What's the reward? So to do that, there's a framework of four steps to take within this chart. I'm going to give them to you all at once and then break them down for you for a few minutes here. The four steps of the framework are these. Identify the routine, number one. Number two, experiment with rewards. Number three, isolate the cue. And fourth, have a plan. Those are the four steps. Identify the routine, experiment with rewards, isolate the cue, have a plan. Let's look at those individually for a few minutes, and we'll be done with the message today in a a few minutes here. First of all, identify the routine. What does that mean? Well, This is the most obvious aspect. This is the easiest part. And to tell you how this might look, I'm going to give you an illustration. And it's not my illustration. A man named Charles Duhigg, who wrote a book that we'll probably give out later, so hang on for that one. A book called The Power of Habit. Charles Duhigg wrote in his book about a time in his life when he worked his corporate job years earlier, and he had a habit he could not break. His habit was every day in the afternoon, sometime after lunch, but before the day was over, he would get up from his desk in the middle of the afternoon workday, and he would go to the cafeteria there in their their place. They had a cafeteria. He would go to the cafeteria. He'd buy a cookie, and he'd eat it. And he kept doing this, and, and he was gaining like eight pounds And his wife was beginning to make comments about that. And he was like, i got to stop this, right? So so he wanted to do better. So Charles Duhigg uh, went to work, and he put a note on his computer that said, no more cookies. And the next day, mid-afternoon, he said, I want a cookie. So he got up, and he went to the cafeteria, bought a cookie, talked with some co-workers, hung around for a few minutes, socialized, went back to his desk, went back to work. And he said, man, i got to do better. He he began to self-loathe and try harder and willpower. But he couldn't get very many, he'd get some wins, but then a lot of failures afterwards. And he just wasn't winning the battle. And so he figured out, he came across the habit loop from MIT. And he figured out, I need to do this myself. So first step was to identify the routine. Well, that was easy. His routine, mid-afternoon, the queue, something made him want to go get a cookie. He'd go to the cafeteria, buy one, talk with some friends for a few minutes, and he'd feel better, go back to his desk and work the rest of the day. Then he wouldn't feel better when, you know, the money and the calories added up. So he identified the routine. That's what you have to do. If you are struggling to overcome, especially a bad habit, figure out what is the identify the routine in your life. What is it? That's the first step. Now then you want to figure out what the reward, the cue is. Is the cue a hunger? Was, he, was Charles going there because he was hungry? Because of boredom? Was he just looking for a break? Was it low blood sugar? What was the reason? What's the cue? And then what's the reward? And the reward might surprise you sometimes because we think we know the rewards, but they're often shocking. Which brings us to point two. Experiment with rewards. you got to experiment. Sometimes we think we know the reward. The reward we think is the, like the Chick-fil-A illustration, the reward is the Chick-fil-A. But sometimes with things in our life that we're trying to break, there's a deeper reward that we don't understand. So Charles said, what's my reward when I have this happen, this routine? So he began to experiment doing different things every day. So, for example, he decided one day, I'm going to go out and I'm going to uh, go to the cafeteria and I'm going to, no, I'm going I'm to get the craving. I'm going to not go anywhere. I'm going to go outside, take a walk around the block, come back to work. A different day, I'm going to just experiment with rewards. I'm going to go up and I'm going to buy a cookie, come back to my desk and eat it there quickly. Another day, I'm going to go get myself a healthy snack, an apple, and then visit with some friends at their desk for a while, uh, in the break room for a while, and talk. Another day, I'm going to go ahead and get a donut. Not a cookie, a donut. See, that's the same thing. A different day, I'm going to go to an office of a co-worker and just see what's going on with his family and talk about life for a few minutes. And just, he just tried different things in different days and experimented with rewards. And he did something very important. He began to come back to his desk and write the first, this is a big step here, the first three things he felt. Um... I'm happy. um, Saw flowers. Whatever else. Just three things about how he felt. And then 15 minutes later, did it again because he wanted to figure out what's the reward. 15 minutes later, if I'm still hungry after um, taking the walk, then obviously it must have been I needed a snack. If I'm still kind of down, then you know maybe it was coffee. What's what's the thing I need? The coffee do the trick? I mean, if, if, if it's being just tired, then coffee should perk me up. If it's hungry, then something else should help. Uh, if, if he gets a cookie and comes back and he's still not feeling satisfied, maybe it was the social interaction. What is the thing that is the reward? And he did all these things and he tracked how he felt afterwards in 15 minutes afterwards. And that's what we all should do, experiment with rewards and keep track of them. Try different things. Now, when I say this to you, here's the hard part. We're in a rush. I know this about people like me. When we decide I want to change something in my life, I get very impatient. Like I could have a bad habit for like a billion years or it feels like that. And then all of a sudden, I got to change this yesterday. I got to change this now. And so I go crazy. That's when people go by gym memberships and go for, for three hours to the gym the first day and break their bodies trying to do it all in one day. We want to hurry up and fix problems. But this is going to take time. So you figure out your, identify your routine and then you take some time, a few days, a week, several weeks, Figure out what might be the reward. For Charles, he figured it out. It wasn't the cookie. He thought it was the cookie, but it wasn't. It was the chance to leave his desk and socialize with some friends for a little bit and get distracted from work and catch up a little bit and go back to work. He figured out he needed the social interaction and the distraction. And that was the reward but he only did it by experimenting. And you never know what the reward is. Sometimes you do an addictive behavior because you're really trying to escape something. What are you trying to escape? What's the thing that you're doing? What's the real issue? you got to get down into what's happening in your routine. Next, the third thing is to isolate the cue. This is a big step, and this is going to be hard. It's hard to isolate the cue because there's so much noise. In fact, they were talking, I was reading a report one time about how police had a hard time understanding people's, um, why they couldn't give the same eyewitness testimonies from reliable people from different walks of life to in a crime they witnessed. And, and, and to figure out why there was a, a breakdown there, they tried to figure out what was causing that. And there's so much noise, it was hard to pin down what was the trigger to the misrecognized details. And they are making the point that, that we're making here, and that is this, that to really isolate the cue, you got to cut the noise out. you got to really hone in what you're looking for. What is the cue that causes me to start my routine, my habit loop? So Charles figured out his reward for the routine was not a cookie, it was social interaction and distraction from work for a few minutes. But what was the cue? So what you can do to find the cue is you can write down, there's five categories that cues tend to come from. And you should write these down or remember these later. There are five cues that tend to trigger a habit loop. And here they are. It's location, time, time, emotional state other people or the immediately preceding action one of those things almost always is the cue that triggers the the habit loop and so what charles did was he sat down and after he figured out his reward next time that he felt the urge the craving he sat down and said what's the cue so he started taking these five things down location where was i Time, what time of the day is it? Emotional state, how do I feel? Other people, who's around me? Immediately preceding action, what was I just doing before I felt the trigger to do that loop? And so he did it for several days. The first time, uh, location, at my desk. Time, 3.07 p.m. Emotional state, I feel pretty good. Other people, nope, no one's around. Immediately preceding action, I just send an email out. Next day, location, walking back from the copier machine. Time. 3.15 3.15 p.m., emotional state, happy, I'm happy today. Other people, yeah, I saw two guys by the copy machine, said hi. Immediately preceding action, made copies, <laughs> that was easy. Next day, location, conference room, time, 3.12 p.m., emotional state, Not tired, but excited, but tired. Uh, other people, yeah, people in the meeting with me. You know know what I'm saying? And and he began to write these things down, and he realized something, that all the factors were different except one. Everything that was the same was the time. It was always between 3 o'clock and about 3.15 p.m. Nothing else was the same, but at that time of the day was the cue that kicked off in him that said, I need to go get a cookie. But what he really needed, he found out, was to go interact and get distracted from what he was doing. And so that was the cue. It was time you got to isolate the cue to fix the problem. What is it? is it? Is it an emotional state? Do you fall into that bad habit because you're depressed or because something set you off? Did other people do something that triggered that? What did you do right before you went into that habit? What is, the, what is your cue? And you got to experiment. you got to check these things out for a while to figure out what really is. Don't guess. Don't blindly guess. Isolate your cue to overcome your habit. Which brings us to the last point, and that is this. Have a plan. Have a plan. This is a big idea right here. You've got to have a plan. Now, the plan is the part where you figure out what you're going to do. And this is why I'm urging you, don't just ask a nice talk and, and don't do something. You, we've got to figure out the habit. We've got to identify the routine. <laughs> we've got to experiment with rewards and isolate the cue. Because if you don't do the hard work of really knowing what you're up against, you'll just be throwing a plan together that probably won't work any better than New Year's resolutions work. But once you do those earlier steps, you can put a plan together. What is your new routine and your new reward after the cue? And here's how the formula looks. The formula looks like this. When I see cue, when I see this time of the day or I see this person or this emotional state, when I see this cue, I will do this new routine in order to get this reward that is driving my behavior in the first place. But you can't really do this until you do the earlier steps. And this is how you figure out your habit loop. So for Charles, he figured out the reward was socialization, distraction from work, not, not a cookie. And, and so he said, when I see 3, 3.15 on my, on my clock, he actually set his alarm every day for the same time, like three something, set his alarm. When this time happens, I will go to a friend's office or desk and catch up for a few minutes on family and sports and life and then go back to work, and that'll be my reward because that's what I need. And he, and he said that when he did this, the first, he did good a couple days. Then he, one day he said, I don't want to go talk to somebody. I don't want to figure out who to talk to today. I'll get the cookie. And he went to the cookie instead. But the next day he said, nope, i got to do this. So he went back to the routine and he began to do it more and more. until eventually now he says, Doesn't he, for the rest of his time there, he never set his alarm anymore. Every day around the same time, without prompting, it became a habit where he'd get up, Go to someone's office, go to some place for a few minutes, catch up with life, talk to them about stuff, and then go back to work and finish his day strong. But he he changed, he broke the cookie habit because he figured out the reward, the cue, and the routine, and he put a plan together. You got to have a plan. Now, I don't know if what we said today is either very basic to you or very complicated to you and boring or, or, or too much. I don't know if you have habits in your life that you're looking at that and saying. I don't know how to do that with my habit. I want to encourage you, the reason we don't get better is because sometimes we get overwhelmed with a process. But I've learned this in my life so many times, you'd think I would know it by now, but I still am learning this, that whenever you experiment with something new in your life, the new terminologies, the new way of thinking, is like learning a new language. It's almost daunting. You're almost like, I can't handle all that, it's just too much. But the way to get better at anything, anything you ever do in life, is you just got to just get into it and feel overwhelmed and confused and and keep reading some more and learning some more and listening to some more, asking questions, and eventually what seemed like new overwhelming information will become second nature to you. But you just got to get in and do it. So I'm encouraging you, don't blow this off. I want you to have some homework today. Here's your homework. Whether last week you were with us and set a habit or two that you want to change, or whether you're here today for the first time and you can now pick a habit or two you want to change, I want you this week to also, like last week, pray about it. Talk to God about it. He can help. But I also want you to go home this week, and I want you to work to identify the routine, to experiment with the rewards. might take you a couple weeks or more to isolate the cue. What's the cue to that thing? Once you figure all that out, put a plan in place. And way before you probably master that circle, we'll be into some new material to help you with systems to help us do better. But for today, what did Paul say earlier? He said in 1 Corinthians, all athletes are disciplined in their training for a prize that will fade away. But we are thinking eternally. Paul says, so I run with purpose in every step. Today, I want you to remember that your system is more important than your goals. Goals will give you a direction, but system will get you moving. And we want to have a great year. So we're not rushing through this thing. We're not moving on to the next sermon series. We're being practical as all get out this January. And I hope I can't wait for the next two weeks because I think it'll be so basic and helpful. But for today, go home, take a baby step. Figure out your habit loop. If it's hard, don't quit. Keep working. It might take you a while. Figure that thing out. And maybe just maybe that thing that has haunted you for years, that thing that you can never start doing and stick with it or stop doing, maybe you will if you can do some simple things to figure out how to set a better system in place to run your race to the best of your ability and have no regrets at the end. We can do that, and that is both practical and spiritual in outcome.